Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm Thomas Mooney and you're listening to episode 207 where I'm joined by singer-songwriter William Beckman. This one with William was done a couple of weeks back. He played a sold-out show here in Lubbock, so we were able to record this one here in person over at the Blue Light before soundcheck. He's one of my favorite promising young writers out there, blending smart, sharp lyrics with memorable melodies, a smooth country croon, and impeccable tone and taste. We really cover a lot of ground on this one, everything from his Del Rio roots, border radio, navigating co-writes, splitting time between Texas and Tennessee, and so much more. He shares a few stories along the way as well. I'll keep this intro really short this go around, but if William Beckman isn't on your radar just yet, he really should be. He's released a handful of singles in recent years and has a new EP set for release this spring that really just ought to blow you away. Keep an eye out for that. We'll get to it all here in one second, but first, a word from our presenting partners over at Desert Door, Texas Soto. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door, Texas Soto. If you've been listening to New Slang, I reckon you're more than familiar with Desert Door by now. In case you need a refresher or just aren't exactly sure what Desert Door or what a Sotol is, well, let me fill you in. Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. Harvested and distilled right here in the great state of Texas, Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. Sotol comes from the desert plant it shares its name with. As a reference point, it is an agave, so there is some semblance to a tequila or mezcal. And it does owe a lot of its heritage to the resilient natives of the deserts of northern Mexico and west Texas. In my estimation, though, Desertor Texas Sotol is more refined, smooth, and fragrant than its agave cousins. It intrigues the palate and offers these robust hints of vanilla and citrus. There's a rich earthiness that often sends me back to my own Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it starts with all those inherently West Texan roots. But a close second is just how versatile Desert Door can be. You can be down home in a denim jacket and a pair of work boots, just something short and sweet like a ranch water or throw it in some Coca-Cola. Pro tip though, get yourself one of those Mexican Cokes when doing so. Or if it's more of a blazer affair, maybe suit and tie, Desert Door, it hits the spot then too. You can be a little bit more highbrow and concoct a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit and sprigs of thyme and sticks of cinnamon. Regardless of the occasion or your preferred style, just follow your bliss when drinking Desert Door. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, and Tennessee with budding numbers in New Mexico, Arizona, California, and expanding across to a liquor store near you. For more on where, check out DesertDoor.com. There you can learn more about their process, history, and what cocktails may suit your style. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. All right, let's get into the conversation. Here is William Beckman. Yeah, I guess this is like our first time talking in person. Officially a, meeting, man. A few times on, on, on the old social media and all yeah, that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of yours, man. I follow you on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I follow you on most stuff. And uh, I, let's start off with this. Um, you know, TikTok is not something that like I, I ever really got into mm-hmm. early on. But 
you know, I, I get on and all of a sudden it feels like you got a pretty good following on, on the, on TikTok. Yeah. What, what is that like a, just another aspect of, of, I guess, you know, connecting with fans and, um, it feels like you've, you've done a great job of use, utilizing that as a, as another tool. Well, I kind of view it as like just a big billboard, you know, just a, a way to get yourself out there. And, you know, as, as well as I do that I tour mostly in Texas. And so outside of that world, I, I wasn't sure if I'd really had anybody that was listening to my music or coming or willing to come out to a show, but that I've got people always trying to get in touch with me and, and want me to get out of the state a little bit. So it's just, for, for me, it's, it was a way to get my music out there, um, to places that I don't really get to tour and whether it's a funny video or a a video of me doing a cover song or something it's just it's just content and it really started for me when when COVID hit and I didn't have anything better to do so I was just I was playing a Willie Nelson song I figured might as well record it and put it out there but but what's what's really funny is there was one video in particular that really kind of popped off and that's what got me you know few followers but uh and it's it's a video of me and my roommate just goofing off playing a song but I I realized with that platform specifically there has to be some what of a level of humor you know I think it's a really humor driven platform and uh and so yeah I always try to kind of keep it funny or do a song that nobody else would think of doing so yeah it's just kind of a, a way for me to to just have fun yeah, I, I, what I've appreciated about TikTok or just really any kind of social media stuff is like the the limits of it. You know, when, when it comes to Twitter, you got 280 characters. With TikTok, you got either like that, whatever, like the three minutes at max or whatever, or uh, most things are very, very short. Most people aren't doing three-minute TikToks because, I mean, it's you're, you're losing uh, people's sense of uh, attention. Yeah. But... Uh, I've, that's what I've really liked about it is like just kind of the, the limitations of, of a lot of social media is, is nice because you have to, as you said, you have to be comical. You have to have like a sense of humor. You have to think outside the box to yeah, know, grab I think, people's attention. I think it's just like, just like people probably don't watch as much TV as they used to. You know, they watch, people watch series and stuff like that on, on, on streaming mm-hmm. services, but it's just entertainment. I mean, you can, you spend hours and hours, which can be a bad thing at some times, <laughs> but it's just really cool. I, I, I jokingly t- tell people that I've learned, I probably learned more on TikTok than I ever did in high school, you know, like, cause there's all kinds of stuff, Edu- educational videos, cooking videos, music, pe- you know, people mm-hmm. putting their music out there. Uh, I follow this one guy who's hilarious and he, he's like a golf coach and, um, and you know it's just weird you follow you follow content that you like and the weird thing it's kind of scary but it's the way it works is like it starts to figure out what it is that you like and that's what it puts in front of you so you know the algorithm it'll it'll start to to pick up on the pattern there uh so like with my stuff it i i feel like a lot of people that like country music and stuff like americana songwriter related things i mean that that's the people that it puts it in front of and so it's really it's really cool it's a useful tool yeah the i don't know like what their algorithm is i feel it's the best of of everything that that's out there social media wise because man it, it has you dialed in within you know a couple of days yeah like it knows exactly what you want if it's history talk or like you know and the, beer and talk the, or the, whatever the thing like, is it's such a hard thing to like really really 
figure out. I, I don't I don't know how to TikTok. You know, the, I I did I had one viral video on accident, and and it's been funny to see people come out up to me after my shows, be like, "Hey, man." where's your friend at? Cause you know, I did it with my friend. I was like, he's in Nashville, man. He's not here. <laughs> he's working. He's just following you. Around, yeah. But yeah. it's cool, man. I mean, it's been a, it's been a, it can't hurt. Is what I tell people. Just put some stuff out there. You know, and on the, on the flip side of that though, I, I do think it's unhealthy to focus too much on that and yeah. just do that because I know there's, I, I try to keep it balanced. I'm, I want, I want people to be aware of my music and get my music out there as much as I can, but I want to play, shows for people and I want people to show up and yeah and sometimes it's lopsided sometimes somebody might have a billion followers on Instagram or Twitter and something and they play a show and and they they have a hard time getting people out there so you want to you want to work you know I'm glad that people are able to come out to shows again because doing that in person is probably the most effective way to to make fans play the shows you know meet the people shake hands have a conversation that's what I enjoy the most about my job the, the the social media aspect of it's fun and all, but I I like doing doing gigs, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's the it's so easy to put that cart in front of the or the horse in front of the cart when it comes to the social media stuff, or just like just when when you you lose focus on what are you here to do? You're here to play music. You want to play music. You want to write music. You want to connect to people in that way, and that always should be the 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 for at the forefront. It should be at the, the what people think of you as not like, you know, Oh, that guy's funny on. T- oh yeah, absolutely. Or like, it's, you know, it's important. And, you know, it, it is one of those things where, you know, it's uh, frustrating and it's kind of sometimes like it's disappointing whenever, Oh, you, you find someone on social media somewhere and then, you know, Oh, you go look up their songs and it's a little disappointing either on the song wise or they only got two or three iTunes. Songs right. And you're kind of yeah. like, Oh man. Let's let's get more out there. Come on. Let's yeah, say. no. It's, and one thing I've always really wanted to get it before I started writing songs, I I really wanted to be an, an actor. Not a lot of people know that, but I wanted to be in movies and stuff because I just I I was watching a lot of movies when I was when I was a lot younger. Now I, I find it a little bit more difficult to find the time to to binge watch anything on Netflix or but but TikTok's also really helped a lot of people get into that world too. And you'd be surprised. Like I feel like there's everyday people that don't realize how good they are at acting. Because a lot of it's like that. You know, it's like it's Saturday Night Live skits and people doing little bits, yeah. and, and it's hilarious. And people, I'm like, dude, you ought to be doing this professionally, you know, instead of doing it in your bedroom or whatever. And yeah. maybe that's what they're working towards. But there's so many. TikTok, if, if TikTok proved one thing, that there's a lot of talented people that are undiscovered and might not ever get discovered. But maybe that's the way they are. You know, it's it's everybody's cooped up for a year and a half. And so... Uh, it seemed like everybody had too much time on their hands, a little too much time on their hands, but it, it's cool, man. I'm, I, I'm on there on every day, but I try to limit myself cause it does get, uh, before you know it, it's four in the morning and you're still having, you know, you still haven't gone to bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that, that, that aspect of the, just like the rinse, lather, repeat, rinse, yeah. lather on the scrolling. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh man, what I thought was a minute has been an hour yeah. of, of just scrolling through. and But you're right, man. There's been so many hilarious people, smart people, people just like following their passions on there. And I always think that like probably the average person my age probably is thinking TikTok is not for them. It's for the kids. And it's like, no, 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 no. Whatever you love, you're going to find 
those people talking about that stuff. Oh, there's everybody on there on on TikTok, and it's it's almost like amazing. the it's almost like the MTV of today. You know, like how yeah. how in the '90s, if you were a band and you were on MTV, it was like that was the that was the culture, that was the youth. You know, and that's uh, t- to me, it's it's got a similar. Uh, there's a parallel there. You know, that that's how people find out about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're from Del Rio. Del Rio, Texas. Yeah. So I'm from Fort Stockton. Oh, um, sweet. And of of the the places around Texas, I feel like that southern border is the closest to West Texas. What I feel. Um, I had like my, my grandparents lived down there for a while. Had some aunt and uncles live down in Del Rio. So we went to Del Rio a whole bunch. Um, either visit family and whatnot. But um, what was it like growing up in Del Rio? And you know, kind of being on that border town where you're able to. I feel like all border towns have this this aspect of, of that cultural exchange. Uh, what was it like growing up and kind of maybe not necessarily realizing that was even necessarily happening until you got away? It was it was interesting, man, because I I grew up in a really weird time when I when I was in high school is when things got really shady in in, in Acuna in Mexico. Drug violence was probably at its worst. And uh, and gang violence, and so it it really sucked because when I I remember in two thousand nine when I was a freshman in high school is when things started to get really bad. But you you would hear all these stories of people you know upperclassmen you know they'd go to a cunha and get fucked up and have a great time and you know and you could get beer even when you weren't old enough to to drink and it was it, that's like what everybody did. That's what my parents did. That's uh, so my older cousins, who were only a couple years older than I was. But when I got into school, it got really weird, and so everybody stopped going. And that's, a, that's essentially what killed the reputation of going down there to Acuna and having a good time. Uh, and it didn't really start to clear up until I was out of high school. It's like the four years that I was in high school were the four worst years in, in his, you know, drug violence yeah. history when it comes to Mexico and, and the border. And so I didn't, I didn't really get to experience that like some other people did before me. And, and even some of the, some of the younger kids now, they get to do it and things are safer and it's, it's, it's not as much of a threat. Uh, so it was, it was weird because, because of that. And, and because of that, we've, we partied in Del Rio, you know, we had high school parties, which nobody ever did in that town. Everybody would go down, uh, across the border and go to the bars and do that. And so that was something that I that I'll always remember, uh, just being growing up and and things things weren't what they used to be. And it's funny because like I've told Wade Bowen, he's got that song Acuna, and, he, and the hook of the song is nobody goes to Acuna anymore. And I I still go to Acuna with with my friends when I'm in town, but I jokingly tell him I was like, man, I'll take you down there. There's still a couple you know brave people that'll go down there. And he jokes and he's like, man, I don't know. I was like, man, I'll, I'll take you. It'll be a good time. But so I remember that. I remember really getting into music when I was uh, probably about that age. I was in middle school when I started playing piano and guitar. And I, I, I didn't, I wasn't really good at anything else, man. I mean, I, it was like guitar was the only thing that turned me on. And so that's what I stuck with. And I, I, I was in a band when I was in the eighth grade up until I graduated high school. We, we were in this cover band together and and me and my friends, we just played everything that we, we could learn. Anything from, like, ZZ Top to uh, Kenny Chesney songs to 
Carlos Santana songs and we would play everywhere in Del Rio. So that's really where I got my start playing, playing in front of people was just playing cover songs in, in my high school band. Um, when it, when it comes to the music that I was listening to, a lot of it was, was, uh, heavily influenced by the Mexican culture there in Del Rio, a lot of mariachi stuff, uh, what they call banda music. Uh, a lot of people were listening to that. Of course, a lot of people were listening to country. A lot of people were listening to Texas country, Red Dirt, and I was playing In My Arms Instead, you know, like everybody, because that's the song everybody wanted to hear, you know, and, and, right. and it was it was such a beautiful blend of uh, of cultures that that really kind of shaped me into into the person I am and the musician I am today. Uh, so I'm grateful. I didn't, and, and like you mentioned, I really didn't notice it. I didn't think about it from an outside perspective because that's just the way I was raised. That's the way, that's the town I grew up in. It wasn't until I left that I figured out that not everybody really gets to experience that kind of thing. Right. This episode is brought to you by our partners over at the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the epicenter of the Lubbock songwriter scene and has been a prestigious home away from home for some of Texas Americana country and rock and roll's finest over the decades. Talk with a songwriter who's come out of Lubbock, West Texas, or the Panhandle the last 20 years, and 99.9% of them are going to tell you just how integral and necessary the Blue Light has been in their come up as a songwriter and a performer. With live original music just about every night of the week, head on over to bluelightlubbock.com to check out their schedule. I know over these next few months, you'll be seeing folks like Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, Grady Spencer and the Work, Josh Weathers, Troy Cartwright, David Bex, Tejano Weekend, Tristan Merez, and Braxton Keith grace the Blue Light stage. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. While there, check out their merch page. They have a wide range of hats, beanies, sweaters, hoodies, jackets, and koozies. You can get all your merch needs while seeing your favorite band take the stage by just asking your bartender, and they'll get you set up as well. And of course, this should go without saying, but make sure you tip your bartenders and buy some merch from the band while you're at it. That's 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue, Lubbock, Texas, bluelightlubbock.com. Pretty good chance I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I remember your, it's either on your bio or something where you were talking about it as far as, uh, you know, kind of listening to the border radio kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously you weren't around at the time of back in the day as, as far as, you know, Wolfman Jack and all that kind of border radio. But, and all the, like, the, the guys like Joe Ely and Terry Allen, they always talk about how important that was, how you could pick up those stations down in Acuna all the way up here, you know, and I'm sure like you could, you, I think like they, they talk about how you could pick up stations from Chicago. And so, um, when, when radio was so big, um, obviously like, you know, it, it, they don't have like the, the big antennas like that in, anymore, but when you're right across there, you're picking up that radio from right across the border. Um, what kind of influence was that? Was that, uh, on you as far as having, that kind was the, the bilingual. That aspect. was everything, man. Everything was in Spanish. There was only one country station. There was like one country station and one rock station. Mm-hmm. But you could count on one hand the, the stations that were in English. And I had like you know a Jeep that, like a beat up Jeep in high school that didn't have a, you know I didn't have XM radio or anything. So I was just <laughs> listening to FM and AM. Yeah. And I'd listen to the ninety four point one KDLK, and they're they're you know it's my hometown station, so they're awesome and they spin my stuff, which is which is really cool, but. 
everything else was in Spanish. And uh, I've always, I've always had a like mariachi music is really what I, I enjoyed listening to. Uh, and I still do, but there was all kinds of stuff, even like Latin rock stations and stuff. So you were, you were exposed to a bunch of different things and the people themselves, you know, that Mm -hmm. was everybody Spotify was already around and, and even people that just had their, their iPods. Wow. I haven't said that in a long time, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, everybody would just kind of steal the auxiliary cord and play what they wanted. Yeah. And, and we all grew up in, we all grew up together and we all kind of shared each other's music and you you heard something that you never heard before and yet your buddy was showing it to you or whatever. You know, what's really bizarre This completely kind of, you wouldn't think this, but like that was also when like me, I remember me and my friends went through like a big reggae phase and that was like when Soja and revolution and all those bands were like really, really taking off. And so we'd even listen to that stuff and I wasn't the one that would put that on, but I just yeah. remember my friends liked it and I was always in the car with them or at the same party as they were and that's what they were cranking. And so that was a new experience, and we went to see him one time. Uh, but, but yeah, it was. I think it was probably half like listening to the radio down there, and half just hanging out with my friends and and taking turns with the auxiliary cord. Really, yeah, yeah. That's funny you say that about the the reggae because I feel like obviously any teenager you kind of you go through those phases a lot quicker as far as like what you think's cool, what you're gonna because you're trying to find your 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 crowd basically you're trying to find your your people and you know you'll go through like the reggae phase and then like i remember my friends went through that ska phase and went through like you know punk rock and country and like you kind of go through all these little dip your toes in all these little different scenes and then trying to figure out what you're going to listen to quote unquote for the rest of your life or something you know what i mean right, you yeah. know what i'm saying like Absolutely. It, it feels like that's kind of like everyone kind of has to try and do that. What I wanted to ask you about was it does feel like right now in Americana country, whatever we want to call us, Texas, um, that that a lot of the, the artists are kind of showing hints of those, that uh, Tex-Mex flair or the Spanish flair or mm-hmm. the mariachi, as you say, and um, Norteño and there's a bunch of stuff that like it feels like a lot of artists right now are maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago they would be a little bit timid to, to show off um, it feels like right now that, that some of those those uh, influences are, are, are seeping through and um, do you kind of feel that too? Do I you think see so. that in, I, in other artists? I and, think so. I think now more than ever people are just willing to be an, uh, an open book you know just unapologetically being themselves, what, whatever that may be, which is really cool. It's really, really cool mm-hmm. to see that. Uh, whether it's doing that and throwing the Latin thing in there, or whether it's, you know, throwing a middle finger up on stage and saying, fuck you, you know, like uh, people think that's cool, you know, and if that's, that's, if that's your personality and that's what you want to do in your live shows, it's cool, you know, it's always, it's, uh, uh, you know, that punk rock thing is really, it's really cool. Yeah. And so I think, and even even like you could you could apply that to Nashville today and how it seems like they have really open arms when it comes to uh, artists in our in our scene, whereas 20 years ago it was a little bit different. Yeah. And I think that's really cool, too. And I think on the flip side of that, I think people in Texas are a lot cooler with somebody going up to Nashville and doing doing something up there whether it's getting a publishing deal or record deal or, 
or whatever. I, I, I don't think, you know, you, you remember people used to have the fuck Nashville t-shirts yeah. and I thought that was so bizarre. Yeah. But, but you don't see those too much anymore. I think what there, there's obviously, there's still a bunch of those people out there, but I think what we've done a better job of is educating the public that, Hey, a lot of these Texas guys are going up there and writing, they're recording up there. There's a lot more of that exchange. There's not those hard lines anymore. And, um, I think it has to do with like just kind of telling people, you know what, like uh, that Wade Bowen record that you love so much, and he's such a Texas country guy. You know, he cut it in Nashville. <laughs> Guess like where he, he recorded it. <laughs> he, all those guys that he was writing songs with, those guys are all in like a yeah, Nashville. exactly. Like it's, it's okay. And it's to, always been like that, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is the which, which is really the funny thing. And I, I had, you know, when I got out of high school, when I when I moved out of Del Rio, I. I went to college because my parents really wanted me to, and uh, they've always been supportive of me. My 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 decision to want to pursue this as a as a career, so I I agreed to go to to get a college degree, and uh, and I spent two years in Austin at St. Edwards University, and then I then I transferred over to uh, Belmont University up in Nashville. So when I first moved to Nashville, it was to finish school. I was still a college student, and. Because of that, I never felt like I was part of of the the scene in Texas because I never really got to to play anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I wasn't when I was living in Austin. I was still too young to do anything to go play at the Saxon Pub or to go do any of those really cool venues that I wanted to play. I was freshman, sophomore in college, and then I moved to Nashville because Radney Foster really convinced me to to move there and he, he told me to check out that school and I did and I got accepted and I ended up transferring out of out of Austin and moving to Nashville so then it got even worse because I'm in you know an even more saturated music town I'm a little minnow in a huge lake right. and and my brother went to school here he went he was a, he's a red raider and and uh I I always remember this one time it was Americana Fest it was 2017 and it was the first time I ever met Flatland Cavalry, and, and Cleto was was super nice as always. <laughs> and I remember they were they played a show at the uh, at the Cannery Row, some one of those venues over there. And and I'd never heard of them before, but they kept saying, "Well, we're from Lubbock, Texas." And and I called my brother uh, after their set. I said, "Man, I just saw this Flatland band, and they were they were kick ass, dude." And he's like, "Oh yeah, man, they're like popping off right now in Lubbock. Like, yeah. they're playing everywhere." And of course, I'd never heard of them because I was living up in Nashville, and I wasn't really keeping tabs on what was what was hot, you know, at the in, in the college scene. Right. And so, I went up to Cleto and introduced introduced myself after the show, and he says he doesn't remember that, but I I I tell him all the time it was you know, and he's like, well, was I nice to you? I was like, yeah, of course you were nice, man. Come on, and uh, and it was just one of those things to where I sometimes wonder had I stayed in Texas and been like gone to school here or. or gone to school in College Station, how different things would have been. Not that I'd go back and change anything that I did. Right. It's just a different idea because I I didn't have that experience. I wasn't able to to go and build a fan base when I was in college. I was too busy trying to learn how to write songs. And and I always tell people that Radney was really, he's been my biggest influence and my biggest mentor as, as a songwriter because I would like every day, man, religiously try to write songs. And most of them were just garbage but but it was like me trying to trying to figure out how to 
really understand the craft. And so I'd lock myself up in a, in a bedroom and do it. Even when I moved to Nashville, like co-writing wasn't even, it never dawned on me that people wrote songs together. I thought it was just like, you know, cause I was a big Dylan fan and Neil Young and John Prine and, and John Prine did co-write a lot of stuff. But in my mind, I was like, man, it's like that something that I think you're supposed to do by yourself. And then I moved to Nashville and then started writing with other people. And that brought on a whole nother another thing is you have to learn how to collaborate which is not easy sometimes <laughs> especially for some people uh like myself that that you're kind of hard-headed like i don't know if i don't know if i really want to write a song about dirt road and a pickup truck you know but but you know you're gonna ha- you have to do it at, at some point to, to to understand that you don't like it or, or maybe you do maybe that's your thing whatever but it, it, it was funny because once i got out of uh, once I graduated from Belmont and then moved back to Texas and started playing, um, like was, people were like, who are you? And like, where did, how come we've never heard of you before? I was like, well, I've been up in Tennessee for the past couple of years, you know, doing things. So it was just a, a an interesting entrance, I, I think, looking right. back on it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how, because obviously I think like the, the standard back in the day was, um, like I'm, and I'm talking kind of before the, you know, the Pat Greens kind of mm-hmm. made it where you could just be a Texas band and be in Texas and all that kind of stuff. But like the more the Radney route of like, you know, moving to Nashville. Guys were moving to Nashville, and you know, everyone from you know Guy Clark moved to Nashville, and you, it felt like that's the way if you wanted to be a songwriter. That Todd was the, Snyder, the, you the know, another to, yeah, another great example. Uh, that's where you, where you went, and from there that you had to come back home. You know what I mean? You had to make it there before you could come back home. Um, I I find it so interesting right now, though, because of that exchange between Nashville and and Texas where, you know, I'd say more than – just as as we've educated the fan base as far as, like, you know, there not being that wall there, it's been educating artists as well. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's okay to go to both, and it's okay to do both, and it's okay to – from one and try out the other and you know you mentioned the the co-writing and writing by yourself you know uh you kind of have to figure out what works best in both situations oh, yeah. and you know uh you know you, hell, you may be the the best uh dirt road songwriter yeah and is, you know the you know? funny thing it's just like everybody man that you stay somewhere long enough then the grass starts to look a little bit greener on the other side mm-hmm. like i remember when I was living in Nashville full time, I still live there part time. But when I was there, when I was spending most of my time there, you'd have friends that'd be like, you know, fuck this town. I'm moving to L.A. And then they go off and they move to L.A. And then you meet somebody else who just moved out of L.A. to come to Nashville. Fuck that town. Don't ever go there, man. It's, you know, you know so it's just like, yeah. well, I got a handful of friends that love it out there and a handful of friends that hated it and came back or tried Nashville or, you know, Austin or whatever, it's, it's, I think it's good when you're in the entertainment business, I think it's good to have, to plant some seeds everywhere, you know, yeah. in, in all those big cities that, that are heavily rooted in, in, in the entertainment business. But, but, uh, it, it, it always used to crack me up when people were, were like, man, I'm moving to Nashville. Cause I, I want to get out of Texas. I'm like, why, why, why don't you come up to Nashville for a week, write songs, or if you want to live here, great. But you're going to have to spend a lot of time back in Texas to play or to, you know, do things or, or whatever. And, and you meet people from all over the, the, the South and 
do, doing country music up in Nashville. Yeah. You know, I got my Georgia friends, and they all kind of they, they got their own little clique, and all the <laughs> Alabama folks have their own little thing. And then, of course, the Texas guys were so, you know, we're, we're so big, and we're uh, kind of hard headed like that. But we all stick together too, and it's it's just interesting to to listen to people's stories and what brought them to Nashville, what drove them away from Nashville what brought them to Nashville, drove them away and then brought them back to Nashville. And yeah. it's like that with every city. So it's, it's always funny. We'll drink beer and be like, all right, let's hear your sob story. And let's hear you bitch about where you're from for a little while. <laughs> yeah. The, it's funny you say about the little different clicks as far as what state you're from. Cause, uh, Ross Cooper, when he first moved up there, he was reading Billy Joe Shavers. I can't remember if it's the, the autobiography or just the biography, but he was talking about how, Back in the, the 70s, uh, it was like that. All the, the Georgia guys were together, all the Tennessee guys, all the Kentucky guys, all the Texas guys. And Ross was just saying how all this time has passed, and it's kind of still the same way. Uh, all your Texas buddies are together. And all like the, the, all, like, it's just like these little clicks. And it's kind of funny how even uh, – you know, hundreds of miles away, you, you end up finding another Texan. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever read Willie Nelson's uh, autobiography that, he, that came out like maybe six or seven years ago? Uh, I've read it, but it's been a minute. So. Yeah. There's this part, and I, I read it, I only read it once too, but it, it, it uh, man, I was just so fascinated with his life, his early life, you know, when he, when he, when he moved to Nashville and he was mm-hmm. having a lot of success as a songwriter and, uh, you know, wrote Crazy and yeah. Nightlife and all these songs that were hits. But he was just—he just still felt so unfulfilled because he wanted to be an artist. And of course, his voice didn't really fit the what what people wanted at the time, and so right. he just had a hard time really kind of convincing people that he was meant to be a singer and a frontman and an entertainer. And he talks about uh, there's this one part in the book that he was—he talks about being at Tootsie's, and that's where everybody hung out. Because now Broadway is just a tourist trap, but back then it was just like the strip. It was like where everybody hung out, and all the songwriters would meet up and drink beer after they wrote songs that day or whatever. But there's two stories from that book that I always think about. And, and one is uh, when, when, uh, when he first got a publishing deal and it was his first day on the job and he'd never had to, he was never in a position where he had to write a song. It was always, you know, he'd be driving down the road or something came to him. And so now he's got this publishing deal and they told, they put him in a room by himself and say, all right, at, you know, 5 p.m. today, we're going to come back. And we're going to see what you came up with. And he was just nervous because he didn't know how to how to come up with something on the spot. So he just started looking around the room and started singing. Hello, walls. How things going for you today? Don't you miss her since she up and walked away? You know, and then he's like, well, hell, I figured if I could talk to the wall, then I could talk to the window. And so the next, you know, <laughs> hello, window, I think I'll stay, you know. Right. And so he writes this badass song because he had nothing to write about. So he's just in this blank room. And then he come back and they're like, what'd you come up? He's like, no, man, it's like terrible. And, and, and he explains, he's like, man, I thought like I was so nervous. I thought they were going to fire me or whatever because it was such a goofy song. And he played, and he's like, no, nah, just play it. And he's like, all right, and played him. Hello, walls. And they're like, that's a fucking hit. And I'm like, there's no way, dude, there's no way you could write a hit song on your first day on the job. And so I think about that. And then of course he writes a bunch of other songs after that. And he's one of the best writers in town, you know, in the, in the late sixties yeah, or mid fifties, I guess. But, uh, and then he's 
just really kind of depressed because nobody will give him a chance. He can't get a record deal. And then the second story in that book that I absolutely love and I think about it all the time, I, I have a bad day, is when he was just having a really bad day and, and I guess he got drunk at Tootsie's and he like laid out in the middle of the street and said, like, the hell with it. If somebody runs me over and kills me, then, then it's meant to be. And he like passed out and then he like woke up to like a couple guys like waking him up like, dude, what are you doing? You're in the middle of the road. And it was like his attempt at suicide or something. And I'm like, whoa, man. Like, so you can have it all. You can, have, you can be at the top. You can be Willie Nelson and still right. intentionally lay down in the middle of the road. And, and we all know the rest of the, the, the story. You know, he ended up leaving and, and growing his hair out and, and becoming one of the biggest selling artists of all time. But, but it's, it's just interesting to, to know that I'm not the only one whose mind gets uh, played with and, and spending too much time in Nashville. Or going back to the TikTok thing, spending too much time focusing on that and yeah. feeling like if, you don't, if you're not at this level, then you're not, you're not successful enough. Or if you're not selling this many tickets, then you're, it's not working. It's, like it's, it's really easy to compare yourself to people in this business. And it's, I, I, I really have to, uh, to, to sit down and like train myself not to think like that because you can have number one hit songs and still want to lay down in the middle of the road. <laughs> This episode is in part brought to you by Charlie Stout Photography. I want y'all all to head over to charliestout.com right now to get a glimpse of his work. While you're at it, go give him a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Stout. Right now, he has more than 50 photographs for sale on charliestout.com with a diverse selection of landscapes and sky shots of West Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Open roads and windmills, sunsets and stardust, cotton rows and cacti. He captures a lot of what I love about West Texas and the great American Southwest. The depth, the way, and raw intensity is all there in his photography. He captures that struggle between man and the land. It's Mother Nature reclaiming objects like rusting tractors and abandoned homesteads, or it's man wrangling the wild and trying to put his impression on the land with rows of cotton or colossal windmills or iron orchards pumping oil from the deep dark below and sometimes it's just the raw beauty of a mountain breaking up limitless sky or setting sun leaving the day behind at any rate charlie's photographs move you maybe there's a little bit of that i ain't crying that's just west texas in my eye in all of charlie's photos again go visit charliestout.com and order yourself a photograph or two also a pro tip Keep an eye out on his Twitter. He's consistently posting one-offs and errors and randoms on there that are available in the flash sale variety. Again, that's at Charlie Stout. Head on over to charliestout.com. Grab a signed print, buy a record. It's good for your soul. All right, let's get back to the episode. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and in this strange way, it's, it's comforting to know that, like, you know, even 60 years ago, it was you're comparing yourself to the Joneses. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, the, the thing about Willie, as far as, you you know, you mentioned, and, you know, he, he busts out at, like, when did Redhead Stranger came out, come out in 75? And he's, right. You know, he's an old man by today's standards. Oh, yeah. You know, he's in his, I, I guess, he's either, like, 40-something or 35. I can't remember what it is. But it's, like, everyone wants that instant gratification of success at 22 or whatever the case. And I, I remember being younger and um, here in Lubbock, of course, 
two of my favorites, Buddy Holly, of course, and, and Terry Allen. And kind of coming to that realization, you know, that Buddy Holly, he had that career in 18 months. Yeah. He died at 22. Isn't that nuts, man? It's, Holy it's, moly. It, it's so early. And then on the other side, the flip side, Terry Allen didn't release Lubbock on everything until he was 35. Yeah. And so I always kind of try and think about those as far as, hey, it's okay if you, you end up like, you know, bloom. you're going to bloom at whatever the right time as long as you're kind of focused on it. And once, you know, opportunity does come, you have to kind of grab a hold oh, of yeah. it like in that Buddy Holly way. Absolutely. And, you know, give them all you have, you know. And it's one of those things where, as you kind of say, you know, it's easy to compare yourself. In, in saying that, though, you know, you mentioned the, the being in your room and writing yourself and just kind of doing that solo writing and then kind of venturing out where you're writing with other folks. What was, uh, you know, if I'm, I imagine stepping into a room with, with another co-writer, there's that mixed emotion of being intimidated, being kind of intimidated by the moment, maybe who it is. Uh, you know, it, it can probably be um, where you're, you're, you're kind of, knocked back down to the square one in some sense of mm-hmm. like, Oh man, I need to get a whole lot better. Or what, what was kind of like those, not actually that first ride or anything like that, but what did you take once you kind of realized, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do to get better at, you know, sharpening this side of, of the co-writing aspect or pa- the, the writing aspect. Yeah. Patience, patience for sure. Um, when you're writing alone and when you're writing with other people, uh, more so when you're writing with other people because it's it's just a it's it's a push and pull kind of thing and you know the typical co-ride it's everybody meets up at 11 with coffee in hand and hopefully you have some ammo you know a couple ideas tucked away in your phone or whatever but kind of bullshit for about 30 minutes and then all right what do you got well I got this title well I got this little melody and I got this title you can just kind of put all the cards on the table and figure out which which one you kind of want to run with on that day. Um, and I'll admit there's times I'm in a room and I'm like, just really not digging where it's going, but I'm, I'm committed to, you know, making sure it's, we're going to stick it out or whatever. And then there's times where you're, it's the complete opposite. You're like, this is incredible. And I know for a fact that I couldn't have written this alone. Yeah. You know, I know for a fact it wouldn't have come out the same. And so, uh, but to, to answer your question, when, it fir- when I was first having those experiences writing with other people, it was, it was new. You know, it's like uh, Chris Stapleton once said, it's a lot of first dates. And I, I, I find that funny because it's, it's the truth. You know, it's yeah, where are you from, you know, kind of doing all that and, yeah. and getting, to know, um, getting to know the other person. Because it's an intimate experience, man. Writing, you know, like telling, especially if it's like about a real thing. Say, hey, I want to write a song about so-and-so, this, this girl that broke my heart. Like, like really bad or whatever and it's like hey man like I just met you five minutes ago but if you want to get that that uh that deep with me then I'm here for it but um more so lately it's been a little bit more intimidating just because of the people that I've started writing with I I recently uh well a couple years ago it feels like recently just because because the pandemic but I, I signed a publishing deal in Nashville and so now now it's more where I was just writing with other people that were playing at the same bars I was playing at. Now it's it's like you're writing with people that have definitely had a lot of success in that world. And uh, but you, I'm, 
at the same time, I'm, I feel confident enough as a songwriter to be able to go in there and hold my own, even though I've never written a, a song that anybody's cut that went number one or anything like that. But, uh, you know, hopefully maybe one day I will. But it's, it's, it's cool, man. It's always, it's always a, I have a really good time doing it. It's like trying to solve a, a, a puzzle of some sort, you know, like a, and so I, I think that I'm very grateful to be able to do it and to, to get those experiences. And I hope I get to keep doing it. Yeah. It's always, uh, that, that thing that you're talking about there, as far as, you know, you're the, you meet this guy or this girl five minutes ago and then, you know, you're, you know, pouring your heart out. It, there's this interesting thing where it feels like, um, maybe this don't happen all the time, but with those co-writes, you come out of it a couple hours later, a lot closer or a lot more on the same page, like than than like the average fan or, uh, friendship absolutely you know what i mean and it's because you often go to these real intimate stories and it doesn't have to be about heartbreak or heart you know falling in love or something but you you end up like talking about stuff like real stuff Mm -hmm. pretty quickly um and and that's what i I find amazing about a lot of times with with uh songwriters and and just musicians in general it feels like there's really never or there's rarely the uh that awkward stage of, of just talking back and forth of the, you know, how's it going? Yeah. You know, um, but, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting to seeing that. Um, oh, I, I, I'm drifting off there, but, um, what I was going to say too is like, uh, what I kind of love is I've, I've been fortunate enough to see some co-writes happen, you know, and what I find amazing too is like, it, it always feels like, um, y'all get like this like fire in your eyes and like you think it's the best thing that you've ever done a lot of times and you know then later a couple of days later you, you talk to that person and they're like ah, I don't know about it. yeah oh yeah <laughs> and you know what's funny is it's the opposite happens too sometimes you walk away you're like yeah that's not really great and then you listen back you're like holy shit this is an amazing song you know yeah. and and it's <laughs> it's really hard to to step out of it like like I'll, I'll I'll be in rights with people and uh, you know we'll be just on a good streak and we're like man that we're we're like plowing through this and it's great and then you kind of hit like some little dead space there and then I'll tell people like, hey man if they if they if they think it needs a bridge or something I'm like how about we just leave the song alone before it starts to get mad at us you know yeah how about we walk away it's great let's just not piss it off. We'll come back and, you know, let's let it ferment for, for, for a little while. And then we'll come back and, and really analyze it. And, and but it's the, I mean, I, I, I'd swear to you songs, they'll, they'll start to, if you're chipping too hard at it, it's going to, it's going to, you're going to dig yourself into a weird hole that you might not be able to dig yourself out of. So I'm pretty cautious when it, when, when it feels like let's leave this alone for a little while. And it could be anything. It could be a chord. I mean, I've, I've gone into co-writes with people and we just can't, figure out how to start this song off but we have this chorus and we know that it's going to be a good song because the chorus is great we just don't really know how to build around it and I'm like hey man we got a good chorus like let's just leave that there let's kind of clear our heads and yeah let's loop back around so a lot of it's that um but yeah there's been times where I feel over the moon about something I listen back and I'm like man maybe it doesn't have that magic that I felt when we wrote it but maybe we can still edit the song Radney 
always told me the only thing better than a good song is that same song rewritten. You know, that's what makes a great song. Yeah. And, and I take that advice to heart. It's like, I, I'll write the song and then I'll come back and revise it and uh, try to find the weak parts of it and see if we can make them stronger. Yeah. There's a, up here at Blue Light on Mondays, of course, it's songwriter night and all originals and stuff. And I always kind of wince when somebody says, oh, you know, I wrote this in 15 minutes because, you know, that yeah, you can write Margaritaville in 30 minutes and yeah. it'd be a fucking hit. Um, but sometimes, you know, though, oh, I wrote this today. 15 minutes ago and you go I can kind of tell you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they think they're flexing it's yeah. like oh I wouldn't I wouldn't admit that to people or, or tempering expectations yeah. or you know all kinds of stuff but yeah the editing process the I, I always you mentioned you know like the oh we got a chorus down we got something we're or we got you know this verse that may not be the first verse it may be that second verse or whatever you can apply that to like any kind of writing where there's been so much, so many times where I'm in the middle of writing something or trying to start writing something. You kind of know what you want to say, but then you don't know how to start it off. And that's always, uh, it can feel like you're just banging your head against the wall mm-hmm. until you kind of just tell yourself, don't worry about that part. Go to what you're wanting to say and get on to, you know, the, the, the body of the, the piece versus you can, you can go back and figure out what you to start this off the lead yeah you know and that can be very very uh difficult to do when it because i I think like any kind of venture any kind of thing you you do you you think like you have to start from the beginning versus start from the middle or or whatever the case right it's it's human nature to want to start from the beginning and go to the middle to the end and sometimes it just it can't work that way no yeah john randall said that uh, that Guy Clark would write everything down with a pencil and graph paper and he had an exacto knife and he would write things down and then he would like cut them mm-hmm. cut the verses up into like strips or maybe even the lines I don't know how he would do it but then he would just kind of like move yeah. them around and try to maybe maybe this thing that's kind of in the in the last quarter of the song maybe that's the first line you don't know I'll see how it sings like see if it makes sense yeah. maybe it's a lot stronger you know for me I really like I really like songs that have a really, really interesting first line, like to where, okay, let's see where this is going. You know, that for, for me, a, a first line has got to be pretty, it's got to grab you, you know, unless, unless it's one of those songs like Just Call Me Lonesome that starts off with the chorus and then it's just, you know, you're kind of in it. But, yeah. but it's interesting to, 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 to move things around like that and to, again to look at it like a puzzle and say like let's figure this out you know it's like we're gonna we're gonna make this work one way or, or another and it might not be today it might not be tomorrow you know it might not be next year yeah. I've, I've mulled over songs for long periods of time and i've also been the guy to say hey i wrote this in 15 minutes <laughs> you know <laughs> don't know if it's any good <laughs> but, but yeah. it's it's cool i like the i like that though i like the way i like the fact that it's different every time, man. You could be in the shower, something hits you. You can be driving, you know, or you could have a co-ride session and just nothing is coming to your in, into your brain. Like it's just somebody. I can't remember who it was. Somebody told me like, man, writing songs is like trying to catch butterflies with a net. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And I was like, that's a really weird thing to to say, but it yeah. kind of makes sense, you know. It's just they kind of flutter in the wind, and you just it's up to you to try to chase them down and catch them. And you can't get mad at the world when you don't. 
I want to break in just one more time to mention The Lubbock Way, a collection of wallflower vignettes. That's a book I wrote and released this past fall. As you'd probably guess by the title, it's a collection of stories and thoughts about the Lubbock music scene circa 2015 to around 2017. I'd like to characterize it as an insightful peek into 35 nights, weekends, and episodes about various songwriters and bands like Red Shahan, Flatland Calvary, Randall King, William Clark Green, Brandon Adams, and many, 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 many others. It's currently on sale in the New Slang merch store. That's newslangpodcast.bigcartel.com. While there, you can also find t-shirts, koozies, coffee mugs, stickers, and a bunch of other stuff. This first edition has been exclusively limited to only 806 copies. Obviously, a nod to the Panhandle area code and all the 806ers out there. Links to the merch store, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, they'll also be in the show notes. Again, go buy a copy of The Lubbock Way, a collection of wallflower vignettes by me, Thomas Mooney. All right, let's get back to the episode. I guess maybe the older I get, um, I'm more fascinated by, you know, the exacto knife. And mm-hmm. the, the uh, I remember I had Clint Black on one time, and he was talking about making, uh, like, word webs, basically. Like, oh, let's... Um, I, I, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but, you know, like... We have a word, and then we're going to exhaust and, like, draw mm-hmm. lines off of it. And that sounds like, you know, you're, you're dismantling the romanticism of anyone writing a song, like, you know, just coming right off the top of the head or something. But that's what I find amazing is is kind of realizing that these songs aren't necessarily always just taken from the ether, you know, that that there is work and there's this, like... Oh, yeah you know, interesting ways the, the skin, the cat. And there's, yeah. And that is an interesting, I haven't done that in a long time, but mm-hmm. I, there were, there was a period in, in my life where I was doing that exercise. Yeah. Uh, that word web where you basically have the central theme of the song and then you have things that stem off from that. So it could be, okay, the central theme is a bar. What, anything that relates to a bar, you know, booze, yeah, money, you know, your bar tab, uh, people, um, you know, girls, romance, dancing, music okay then you go to the the money thing you know the guy's broke and can't you know whatever Uh, then you go to the beer thing you got whiskey but you know so then you start to kind of stem off of that and then what it really essentially does is now you have a paper with all things that are related to the central theme and so it's just kind of like a it it creates a word bank for you so when you when you're stuck you're like all right well let's talk about the girl dancing because now we already talked about we you know the thing and maybe the bar is not a great example but just to get the listeners an idea of what how that works yeah and it creates a word bank for you and uh that that proved to be pretty successful when i was kind of still trying to figure out how to write, write songs i don't i think i do that still but in my head i don't really need to write it out um but that was always a great a great exercise one thing that radney would always make me do when i was still in college is just like free write he would like write like half a page anything like yeah. it just keep it a constant stream of thoughts and it was most of the time it wouldn't make much sense but then you're like well that's kind of you know you listen you read that line like wow that's actually really poetic you know that's actually like a really cool thought and then you take that and you put it in a song somewhere but it's just kind of like you vomit these the you know anything that comes to your brain your brain's hard to keep up with man the human mind is like such an interesting thing so if you force yourself to just put stuff out on paper you'll be surprised at how cool some of the things, some of your thoughts are 
when you don't think about it because yeah. you're thinking about it in that moment. But when you see it on paper, then it's just like, I don't know, maybe we just went down a really weird rabbit no, hole, no, but it's I the truth, man. You know, yeah, <laughs> this is I, within the mind of a songwriter. I, the, I know like during the, the pandemic, a lot of people that I talked with talked about doing more of the, the free writing where it was like, first thing you get out uh, when they got up, just write. And then, uh, I guess like somebody had compared it to, uh, when you got like a pen and the inks, you know, you got to mm-hmm. run it back and forth before the ink starts coming out. That being kind of applying that to, uh, to the free writing. And then, you know, you, you kind of get all the, the cobwebs knocked out. And yeah. Then you can kind of think a little bit more clearly and then, yeah, I go back and pick stuff out. Because, again, like I think like that's also – that's probably something you've learned is you can't judge something before you say it. Because, oh, yeah. like, it's so easy to just – say I'm, I'm not going to say that because I don't I know it's not I don't want to sound stupid you know and sometimes you get you just have to say it to then get around whatever mm-hmm. you're trying to say and that's kind of how I am man and I'll tell you a really funny story uh like a couple years ago I had the opportunity to write with Jamie Johnson who I'm a very big fan of and we're we're pretty good buddies now so I, I know he won't care if I tell this story but I came to his house right and I'm definitely kind of intimidated and I wrote this I'd stayed up the whole night before with this uh I wrote this whole like half of a song everything chorus and it's like a I I remember it was uh like a fighting song like this this girl and guy knock down drag out and you know she's throwing she's throwing plates at him and smashing you know and, and he's kicking a hole in the door or whatever and you know I, I wanted it to be like a real outlaw country song and uh and I sing him this whole song, like, uh, I can't remember how it went, but it was like, uh, uh, well, it ain't first time I've heard you scream and shout. It ain't first time we've cussed each other out. We walk a fine line, done it time and time again. And it ain't first time uh, my words have made you ball. It ain't the first time kicked a hole right through the wall. You know, I'm making it like, man, he's pissed off, punching a hole in the wall and everything. And then he goes, I like that, but I think we can say all that in one line. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, shit, (laughs) that whole thing, those whole two verses, he's like, yeah, how do you say that in one line? He's like, broken plates and drywall scars. I said, fuck, that's cool. (laughs) And so now we start going off this thing, and he likes the idea, and he kind of liked the chorus that I brought, but he completely trashed the... (laughs) the verses I showed up with, but I was just glad he was, he was into it. Right. And so now he's, he's, yeah, I can see the gears in his head starting to turn. Now I'm, I've kind of woken him up and, and, uh, and so he starts going and, and he's like real quiet and I'm just still really intimidated. And he had this open notebook and he's like drawing these, uh, like he had a pen and he was drawing these circles like over and over again next to each other, almost looked like a cluster of grapes or something. And not like, like you're saying, like I'm throwing shit out there. Like, Hey, well, what if we did that? You know, no. Uh, well, what did you think of this line? Mm-mm. You know, and he was just sitting there for, and you know, after about two or three minutes of me just throwing shit on the wall, he's like, can you just give me a minute to think? And I was like, Oh my God. And I got scared. Like I thought like he kind of, yeah. and I was like, okay. And I like got up from the table and I like went on his couch and like was playing with his dogs and shit. And I left him alone for like 15 minutes 
because I was like, okay, all right, hint, I, I got the I got the point, got the hint, you know, and and he comes like, hey, come back over here, and I walk back over there, and he's like, what do you think of this? And he sings this whole thing, and it was fucking brilliant, dude. And I was like, so that's what you do. You you sit there and you doodle and you think about it, and you don't say anything until you're exactly sure that's what you want to say. Yeah. Instead of me over here like, hey, Jamie, like, well, what do you think of this? What do you, you know, just chirping away at him like, 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 a, like a damn chihuahua barking <laughs> up a tree. And it's just like, it, it, and he's done it for so long. It was just a different, and I, so I learned a lot that day. And then we wrote, the, we wrote that part and then we broke for lunch and then we came back and we finished it. And it's such a cool song. I, I'd hope that he, he it's, and it's so him. I hope he cuts it someday. But, but uh, I always tell people that story of, of him just being like, can you, can you give me a second to just think? Yeah. And I said, yes, sir. My bad. All right. <laughs> I'm going to fuck <laughs> off over here. <laughs> you know, it's cool. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd love to write with him again. And, and, the, and the, I think the most bizarre part of that story was, he's like, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't written a song in 10 years. He told me that. I was like, are you serious? And I was like, why'd you pick me to, why'd you pick me to write, the, you know, yeah. to get back into it. And he's like, I really don't know. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but I'll take it, man. And it's cool, man. I, 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 I would love to ride with him again. But uh, again, it was one of those first dates where I was like, holy shit. I called my, I called my manager after that. I was like, man, that was a weird fucking thing. <laughs> but we wrote a great song. <laughs> man, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, I see him about once a year, but yeah. he's he's always good to me, man. He's such a such a sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, before before you get out of here, let's let's talk a little bit about what you got coming up next. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you just released a a new single mm-hmm. this week. Um, what's kind of like in your your twenty two plans as far as you got a, a record? Yeah, year? we got a new EP that's coming out in April, and then we're gonna hit the studio again. Actually, I've got a, a bunch of other songs that we're uh, planning on um, making a whole nother EP. I, I there for a minute I was wanting to to make a full length and combine the two but the thing is the the record that's about to come out or or it was the record that I was really supposed to make before the pandemic and so these songs have been kicking around for a while we've been Mm -hmm. playing them and they they feel like they belong on their own in their own sort of body of work and and these new songs that I've been writing the past couple months are so fresh to me and, and to the band and we're all excited to be playing them so i want that to be its own thing to, to stand on its own but yeah there's a lot of new music coming out and i'm i'm really really stoked for um so yeah i, I just encourage people to kind of keep up with with me and the guys and come to come see a show come come hang out and uh and listen to the songs i, I it's what i love to do and i'm just glad to to be back in lubbock texas doing it yeah man i mean the the, the ep thing the and the pandemic that's the obviously as you know there's you're around songs you're around the songs a lot longer than you know the listener ever is oh yeah be. the the pandemic threw like a, a weird strange wrench in it that made it feel so much longer oh yeah and so much more there's so many people i know who obviously they put off a record and it's like well fuck man we should have just put the record out because i'm already over these songs yeah. and, you know it's uh it's gonna be an interesting weird strange time to look back oh yeah on, but you know it's uh it's been a fucking hell of a time talking with you. Dude, man, thank you so much, man. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Get a beer or something. Yeah, let's do that. Thanks so much. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to keep an eye out for new music from William Beckman 
and be sure to go see him if he comes to a city near you. Check out our presenting partners over at Desert Door, The Blue Light Live, and Charlie Stout Photography. And be sure to order a copy of my debut book, The Lubbock Way. And yeah, I'll see y'all soon for another episode of New Slang.